0: Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that is soft as hell. Today we have Laura, Zoe, and Kellen. And today we're talking about how being soft in 2022 is a radical act. I got this idea a while ago because of my incredible cousin who absolutely embodies this. And he sent me a tank top and a sticker with the words Radical Softness as a Form of Boundless Resistance written on it. And after I got this, I looked into it. And this is a title of an essay written by B. Oakley now put out in an anthology through this amazing small queer publisher called Genderfail. In their mission, it says, quote, For Genderfail, we seek to publish works that expand queer subjectivity by looking at queerness as an identity that challenges capitalist, racist, ableist, xenophobic, transphobic, homophobic, misogynistic, and anti-environmental ideologies. In the latest edition of this book of essays, six different artists respond to how, quote, radical softness as a form of boundless resistance, end quote, resonates with them. So with that in mind, I thought we could start by reacting to this idea and see what it means for us.
1: Sure. So I guess my first thought was like my personal reaction When the episode idea was brought up, which I think is just very me. Um, Because when I think about it in terms of myself, my initial reaction is being like, Am I soft? I don't know if I'm soft. I I think I'm like tough. Um, But that's, I guess, my like exterior. And then as y'all know, I am a fucking huge softie. So then I was like, Oh, I think my like initial reaction was like oh do I want everyone who listens to the podcast to know that about me um because that's like my little secret (laughs) and it's something like when people get to know me or can like tell that I'm actually a huge softy that I'm like flattered like I'm like oh they see that because yeah sometimes people think I'm like mean or like very blunt but it's like that's because you have to earn your way in to the core which is just mush which is just me crying on my couch over minor inconveniences exactly but in terms of like more politically i mean and we're gonna get into this more but love the concept um i had heard the term radical softness before but did not really know like this essay or this specific like context. So I'm excited to talk about it more. Yeah. I think it's underrated as we're going to discuss to like be soft and kind and loving and caring in a world that pushes us to be none of those things and have the capacity to be none of those things. And that, that
0: is powerful. Exactly.
2: Yeah, no I really like that. Um I had heard I guess this phrase. I've like heard it in different contexts and I think that the way that we're going to talk about it today, the way that like Laura pulled some god what's the word passages. I know how to speak, I promise. <laughs> passages from the book of essays they were talking about and like so it was cool to read those um in preparation for this episode and, but I have kind of heard like versions of this deployed as, and I'll, I'll probably talk about this more as we go through the episode, kind of like deployed as a reason for being disengaged from politics. Like, you know, um, it's, like, actually radical for me to, like, just, like, go home and, like, not engage with the world around me, because that's, like, some version of self-care, and I think that, like, Mm. it is really important for us to, like, care for ourselves and nourish ourselves in ways that allow us to keep fighting, but not just so that we keep fighting, like, so that we can live, like, bountiful, happy lives, Um, but... I think that like there are ways in which I feel like the online world has like taken this concept and been like actually it's like self care for me to like never do anything ever to help the people around me. And I just wanted to like clarify as we started that like, that's not what we're talking about um because that's like not helpful, like not radical, like do what you got to do, but like call it what it is. You know what I mean? And I think what we're going to be talking about today and we'll get into it more is a way of being in the world that is like creates opportunity for solidarity with others and like then deploys that solidarity in politically powerful ways and we're going to get into like what that looks like and all of that kind of stuff um but I did want to take a minute anticipate some skepticism and <laughs> encourage people who might have like seen somebody being weird online about this kind of stuff to like listen <laughs> i promise it does get good
1: yeah well i think that's a good point too kellen of like the co-optation and like how capitalism co-ops fucking everything and it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of times self-care is like buy yourself something or like spend money on doing this and to be clear um Personally, not against retail therapy, but not what we're talking about here. Right, exactly, (laughs)
2: exactly, exactly. Like, I was thinking about when we were talking about this episode, this quote that has been attributed, although I don't know if it's actually, like, a Frida Kahlo quote, and it wouldn't have been in English anyway, that's, like, not fragile like a flower, fragile like a bomb, which I kind of, like... Um, but one of the ways that I've recently saw it, or, like, semi-recently saw it deployed was in a bunch of, like, descriptions of Ruth Bader Ginsburg after her death. Uh It's, like, okay, like, you know, the person who, like, all of her law clerks were white, like, go off, I guess, whatever. Um, not that that's even, like, the way that she was most harmful, but I'm just, like, appropriating Frida Kahlo for this person who was, like, absolutely a racist is, like, not what I'm here for. Um... But I do like the quote. You know what I mean. <laughs> but it also speaks to to your um, your point, Zoe, about capitalist co-optation.
1: Yeah, I had a visceral reaction to the RBG thing, but anyway, <laughs> unsurprisingly, this topic was brought to us by our resident water trine. Do yeah. you have any thoughts? For well, us?
0: I was—I'm just like laughing because in my head, I would literally never, ever, ever be like, "Oh, there's going to be skeptics about this." Like, never, <laughs> never in my mind would would it be like, "Oh, that's that's an idea." That's like, I don't know, because I think I live here. I live in this space. I have been living in this space. And I will say it's an active choice to live in this space Mm. that I make every single day. Um, And I don't think it's an easy choice to make. Um, And I think for me, it's shown up in a myriad of ways. I definitely have talked about it a lot. I forget exactly what the episode was, but, um, you know, when I was taking care of my grandmother and basically how it is to show up for other people in really intense ways like that. But also, you know, I feel like I have tried to do this in the face of, for example, romantic rejection. Like, if I'm fully in love with someone and they're not feeling that back, like, I'm not going to, I guess, I, I have in my older age now. And <laughs> That is, is not how I always was, of course, because we live in this society that does not teach us to be this way. But rather than, you know, put up a bunch of walls as soon as feeling rejected, just kind of sit in, at least for me, I wanted to try to sit in gratitude for feeling the intense positive emotion that is amorous love for another person. And even if it's not reciprocated, like understanding that that has its own benefits for myself. So I have this, I have this feeling deep in my soul beyond the scope of what we're going to be talking about it today. Um, But I think it's a really, really, it's going to be a really good um, demonstration of how we've talked about since like day one, like personal as political and vice versa, all the, all the ways that political and personal intersect. Um, But with that being said, uh, I am going to start by reading um, a little bit, some excerpts of the original essay by B. Oakley. Radical softness as a boundless form of resistance articulates a form of resistance that speaks to an alternative public, one that proliferates through a more hidden mode of radical communication. Thus, I hope to challenge the way terms such as radical and resistance are often viewed through an ableist lens as active, as against ostensibly passive forms of softness or emotiveness. As a publisher, I create content that in its very form is radically soft. The published materials and objects can be damaged easily by heavy use, water, or excessive force. Publishing as praxis is engaged with the physical material softness that conveys the actual content of radical politics. So this practice literally and metaphorically engages with the necessity of softness in radical communities especially minority ones, against a more masculine conception of radical action typically performed by able-bodied, white, cisgendered males. Similarly, the content of my publishing practice engages with another type of resistance in how it is physically disseminated. Radical and minority writers, activists, and artists perform resistance through disseminated texts and published materials that represent their identities in public they insert themselves into publics through the political act of authorship often because they cannot be actually be public in the way that able-bodied white cisgendered people can in this radical softness as a form of as a boundless form of resistance is not a utopian idea but rather one that tries to grapple with the unique realities we face it signals and celebrates how we each come to resistance by allowing us to define these terms for ourselves. As a person suffering from daily anxiety and depression, I've been forced to find alternative ways to express and define resistance in my own life. A practice of radical softness means a practice of vulnerability. With my anxiety, depression, and panic attacks, I often find my feelings and my body in an extreme state of vulnerability. Yet this feeling of vulnerability has encouraged me to re-examine what it means to be present in a public space, especially for someone that suffers from agoraphobia. In this, I often ask myself, am I less political because of my inability to be active in politics in the common definition of the term? Why? So I try to imagine vulnerability as a legitimate act of resistance. For example, recently I've been using social media to talk directly about my problems with anxiety, depression, and panic attacks. I want to fight the ableist image of perfection that social media breeds while also being able to express dissent in my own terms. The posts in which I openly share my private life are important because they show solidarity with others who are navigating their own mental health journeys. My hope is to represent mental health, anxiety, and panic disorders for other artists who are also working under the pressures of ableism, unpaid labor, and hierarchical hypercapitalism through their public space of social media. As someone who attempts and sometimes fails to run an intersectional queer publishing platform, I look at the vulnerability of my depression, anxiety, and panic disorder issues as a critical facet of resistance. Of course, the irony of addressing these issues of identity and representation through social media is apparent, yet similar to the radical activity that can be manifested through apparently ephemeral means such as apparel and publications, I would argue that social media is a vitally important part of contemporary public presence, especially that of minority communities. In this, I don't mean to romanticize social media, especially through its censorship of sex workers, people of color, and queer, trans, and non-binary people, and so on, but to acknowledge the power of its role as a form of dissemination. And so I just wanted to stop there for our kind of like, it's just some snippets of Be Oakley. Um, I just really liked the way that they, I guess the question they asked themselves of am I less political of my inability to be active in politics in this stereotypical way was really it hit home for me in in a multitude of ways, I guess. I think while I still am able to go out and be in protest spaces, and I have done that, um, but particularly as my own disabilities worsen physically, it makes me ask the question, um, like, is what I'm doing enough? Or, for example, when I needed to step away from DSA completely and focus on this podcast. And for me, I was like, is this podcast even meaningful? Like, is this doing what I want it to be doing? But for me, it this feels like um, a way for me to be able to engage politically and um, challenge the oppressive norms of our society without necessarily being being amongst people that might be triggering to me or whatever it is. Um, So I really appreciated that they kind of brought that question forward. Yeah, I
1: guess I don't have a fully formed thought. Something I'm sitting with um, in terms of my relationship to this is my relationship to that I now provide therapy to people and that manifests in Mm a lot of ways for me like for example talking about like being open about um mental health on social media and i mean i certainly am it's also now this like i guess push and pull right because to a degree like clients if they look me up like they want to know like therapists have been through this and understand things on the other hand you don't want like a therapist who's like overly saying things online when you're like how can this person help me if like they (laughs) don't know how to help themselves clearly or like things like this so it's kind of um I guess gets more murky and sort of to what you were saying Laura it's like yeah I do this work and provide a lot of care for people and then sometimes that means I'm like tapped out to provide Mm -hmm. as much care to close people to me in my life like I'm like I'm sorry I just did this all day I like can't have a full conversation with you about this whole thing and I mean I often still do show up for my friends of course but there's times that I'm just like I cannot and so yeah that can be hard too so yeah kind of the push and pull there of like doing this like community care mental health work versus wanting to show up for like my community um but most of whom also have like other resources that are not me
0: Mm -hmm. no that makes a lot of sense I know that um, you also were drawn to um, another one of the essays that was in this um, iteration of, I don't know if it's a zine or a book. It's kind of both. It has art. It has, it's, it's all of the above. But anyway, go ahead.
1: (laughs) It's definitely zine aesthetics. Right. (laughs) But yeah, um, I read another essay in it that's called Soft and Radical, Exploring Radical Softness as a Weapon. Yeah, so in this essay, Laura Mathis talks about how they coined the term or the phrase radical softness as a weapon, which B. Oakley then expanded on in their writing um that Laura just talked about. Our R Laura. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, this name is spelled L O R A. So Different,
0: different. But <laughs> a different Laura Solidarity.
1: <laughs> a different name. Sounds the same. Um
0: unless you say it like Zoe does.
1: Well, I'm trying not to. No, it's you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. My
0: friend Unless Jake does too. Unless you say it with it a too. Philly
1: accent. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because it's a Philly thing. My Philly if you notes. live in Philly, Lara. Laura. Say oh, Laura. 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 <laughs> but the writer Laura writes quote. More recently, I've been able to add B. Oakley's name to the list of those who have inspired my thoughts and on this series. In coming across their work online and seeing the changing of the words from as a weapon to as a form of boundless resistance, I thought, how beautiful, how beautiful it is to watch an idea grow beyond the confines of your imagining of it. Once I hugged the words close to my chest as private private tools of my own healing. Now they are gone from my hands, expanded and living, grown through others, and interaction with the larger world, boundless." In holding both radical softness as a weapon and boundless form of resistance, I see the two phrases meeting the same end. Each of them upholds vulnerability and validates it as a radical act. To tack tack weapon to the end of radical softness makes it into a reaction. The weaponizing of emotions is a recognition of the violence of systems, and there is an anger that is rooted in the use of this word, an anger of the damage done by cultural attitudes of of the grief and loss unspoken to replace this with boundless resistance moves into the territory of possibility. Our resistance is infinite. It takes many forms. The two phrases both say that these oppressive systems and toxic attitudes they teach will be met with opposition together. They acknowledge the violence and the sheer power of our emotions while also leaving room for new soft and radical realities.
2: Yeah. I really liked this Mm -hmm. um, piece. Um, I was um, in a classroom today because a professor that I've worked with before had me come in and talk to her class about some history stuff, Um, but really like a lot of it was about the current Supreme Court kind of ended up going in that direction. I talked about this on Twitter, but I for sure just like went full black bill on these children. So (laughs) my bad. We love Um, to see it. They're like college students. They can handle it. Yes. Um, Dr. Kellen strikes again. (laughs) They kept asking me questions like, um, you know, like, where do you see our country in five to ten years? And I'm like, y'all really want me to answer this question? (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway, there was also just like as a side note, one kid was like, what can we do Besides voting, to like change the direction that the country is going, thanks to the Supreme Court. And I just like looked off into the distance for like 30 seconds and was like, how do I answer this in a way that does not encourage violence against like officials of the state? <laughs> right. Um, I was Honestly, like I have a profet- Good for you for yeah, figuring I, it out. <laughs> um <laughs> anyway, that was a joke for legal purposes. Um, but like one thing that I did talk about was like the space between reaction and imagination and that like I feel like so often as people on the left we're coming from a space of reaction in the way that and that's that's by definition like we are reacting to the forces of conservatism to the forces of capitalism to like an untenable status quo that somehow keeps getting worse and so of course we're going to be in a space of reaction but we we bring much more power to the work that we do when we are able and that's is not always the case but when we are able to come at it from a space of imagination instead and to think like not just like what is wrong With the current world but what kind of world do we want to build and what kind of world do we want to live in um and doing our best not just to react to the horrors in front of us but to create the world that we want to be in and so i think that like where radical softness has potential like political you know real political potential is to create the kinds of relationships amongst one another that we want to that we want wish were the norm in the world to create the kinds of relationships that capitalism tries to make impossible and then to, like, use those relationships to, you know, build solidarity, to make our communities stronger and safer. Even if we can't, you know, do anything to Brett Kavanaugh, (laughs) we can at least, you know, build community. Legally speaking. (laughs) (laughs) We, We can build community that, like, makes... You know, creates like space for safe reproductive health practices, Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so that's like one way that I like really I I, like felt a lot of resonance with with uh the passage you read, Zoe.
0: Absolutely, I think it's also important, of course, and I know like you were saying this as well, um, to understand also. Obviously, we all here at Season of the bitch understand this, but that the oppression that is happening on a political level is violent, and um, so that that reaction, you know, is warranted, and also that it is stronger for us to be in that imaginative. Exactly. Process. Yeah.
2: And and like I I um I think that like the reaction is necessary. Exactly. As well. Like exactly. so much of what we're doing is triage. You right. know what I mean. And that's by design, like it's much more dangerous for, you know, the bourgeois class, like the capitalists, the the sort of oppressor class, like however you want to put it, when we have time to catch our breath and be more intentional and imaginative in the way that we respond. And so the best thing that they can do is make it difficult for us to do that. So exactly. sort of by definition, we're going to be reactive much of the time but like being intentional and seeking to seize the opportunities that we have to be imaginative i think is like um a worthy goal you know
0: absolutely and it's also critical because everyone will always be like oh well we don't actually know what a successful socialist society looks like (laughs) we that's a conversation we've already had and also probably for another day but (laughs) that that being said it's all about world building right like the whole mm-hmm. idea is this imaginative world building and that's like you know so right. critical to
2: a better world is possible exactly yeah this is why
1: kellen has a phd <laughs> but i wanted to share another excerpt from that same essay and um, that says quote Our vulnerability is a gift yet we're told consistently that to be strong we must present ourselves as emotionless and closed off we're socialized to be separated from our feelings and thus our most authentic vulnerable selves this idea of emotional disconnection is rooted in toxic masculinity and the white heteronormative racist ableist patriarchy this system is violent and it hinders us all in varied ways being in touch with our emotional selves being vulnerable is only one affected aspect but this system of shame is also an attack on our ability to connect with each other on a broader scale shame forces us to silently endure emotional distress without the support we deserve and crave it allows oppression to be normalized for pains to remain unseen and though they are often intertwined to appear as solitary It keeps us silent, compliant, afraid, hopeless, and it leaves pain unspoken, giving it space to fester. It is through giving voice to our inner pain, seeing each other in the narratives this creates and fostering communities of care that we're able to dissipate shame. To work against a patriarchal system is to tear down the stigma which binds us and separates us, to embrace our vulnerability, our pain, our wide range of emotions, to recognize the power in communities of care and support, to see the strength and healing, to view others in their hurt, to hold our pain without pushing it away. This is to know our power.
2: Yeah, I was thinking as you read this about the will to change by Bell Hooks, um, which is like I've talked about it on this podcast. I know I think you've talked about it on this podcast too, Zoe. Like mm-hmm. an, an incredible book. Um and it's a all- banger,
1: as some it- might say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and it's all about like the patriarchy and the way that patriarchy harms men, especially, and then in so doing also hurts women. It's a very binary, right? Like, book. It's not, it's, it's like very cis, very binary. um And in that way, a product of its time. So I, setting that aside, like, in, in it, Bell Hooks talks a lot about the idea that in order to be like participants full active participants in a patriarchal system men are forced essentially to disconnect themselves from their emotions um discount them um and essentially sever a connection with their internal feeling self um and the ways that that is like really actively harmful for men and like it helps it's part of like a way of maintaining a diff you know and some some version like of an internal difference between men and women that men are women are emotional and men don't have any emotions besides anger and like all of these sort of false dichotomies Um, but it is like really actively harmful and gets in the way of like creating meaningful relationships and meaningful bonds and it's one of the reasons that, like, it can be really difficult to date cis men. Um, and it is, it is like, a perpetuating system of harm that is passed down from men to their sons, but it's also perpetuated by others. Um, you know, uh, a mother who buys her son a, like, you know, little heartbreaker um, Cancelled. onesie. Canceled. You know, like that kind of thing, like is um, part of the problem as well. Or exactly. you know, tells your son Violent. to stop crying. Like, oh my god, boys don't cry. That kind of stuff. Like, it's not just men who perpetuate the, these expectations of other men, for sure. Um, and so, I think that like one of the most healing things that we can do, like you know, within, for example, family spaces or interpersonal relationships with friends. Or in our own relation, like love relationships, is to give, for example, like especially cis men space to feel things and to let them know that like it's okay to have feelings because that's not a message that gets across. And I think more than anyone else, especially straight cis men, like just don't get that message. And I used to be like more skeptical of the claim that like patriarchy harms men, but like bell hooks really convinced me on this one and i saw like they benefit in some ways but like you know so do like especially rich cis white women also benefit from patriarchy like it's a complex system but one of the ways to kind of dismantle its effects on an interpersonal level is to like create Nurturing spaces for like men to feel, not to go off on like a protect cis men rant or anything, but this really reminded me of like the ways that bell hooks has talked about like men and and patriarchy and emotion.
0: Totally. Also, this passage
2: in general,
0: like the pains to remain unseen, keeps us silent, compliant, afraid. Just also echoes what it feels like to be alienated from your labor under capitalism too totally and i feel like there's so many ways in our society that we are isolated we are um you know really taken out of any sort of collective Mm -hmm. and that's intentional because totally that is how they try to win but you know we have nothing to lose but our chains (laughs) um so um, I thought we could dive a little deeper into this topic. Um, you know, one of the main things that I think I wanted us to to talk about is just like what it is to live in this world, right? Like we live in a hyper-local world usually because we interact with our grocery store, our whatever. It's it's like a, it's a system, it's a space, um, and that is has its own community there are other communities like digital communities like our discord you know where to find it um but for real that's a that's like a community which i was so stoked to like be able to talk or like mention in the um u.s trans survey that is around it's like where do you connect with trans people i was like discord (laughs) it had discords as like an option um and i was like that's great it was really cool um, but anyway, like how how do we kind of understand these small local community spaces within this globalized economic system? Yeah,
2: totally. Um when I think about this, I think a lot about like local community work and like mutual aid stuff as an act of resistance. Like I hinted at this earlier, but like this seems to me like that doing work within your community to, like, build networks that take care of each other is one of the few truly workable political acts in the modern climate. Like, I think that and, like, labor organizing are, like, the two main ways that we can exert power because, like, you know, obviously the people who are wielding capital P political power – in this country are largely unaccountable um, unless we withhold our labor. And, and, we, you know, and if we build to what degree we can alternate systems that don't rely on them, that is a way that we keep ourselves healthy and happy and living. Um, and so I think of like a lot of stuff, especially that happened during the pandemic and, and, you know, whether it was like during the uprisings like the way that we talked about on our episode about like unrest in Minneapolis like that community came together and did like grocery delivery and I know that like there was a lot of that going on in New York um as well about like I know Bianca for example our, our old co-host was like very involved in like delivering groceries to people who couldn't get to grocery stores in Brooklyn and like those kinds of things of like taking care of our neighbors because the state sure as hell isn't going to take care of them are like so important. And, you know, I think that that is like acts of softness, acts of kindness, but also like politically powerful acts that again are different from just sort of like, I think of it as like a kind of navel gazing, like, you know, it's sort of harmfully called self-care, Of just being like you know really individualistic of like i'm gonna take care of me because there is this kind of refrain of like um existence is resistance which is like great in theory but the way that it's applied is like you know sometimes like i'm gonna get my girl boss corporate check and live my best life and like that'll show them and it's like that absolutely is not showing them um You know what I mean? And like none of I I assume that people listening to this podcast know that that's not what we're talking about. But like it is disheartening in the way that Zoe talked about earlier to see the ways that some of this kind of theory of like showing up for yourself and showing up for others is marshaled in the defense of like individualism. But we're living in a capitalist America, so, like, what do you expect?
0: For sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, if you want a girl boss and then also do solidarity shit on the side, I mean, there is right. no ethical money. There's no ethical jobs under right. capitalism no, no, or whatever. No, and I know. I just was like, you know. And I, I think that there's a lot of ways that this kind of shows up. And I was trying to think about this in ways that we don't normally talk about, primarily because the authors um, of these are artists. And I wanted to kind of think about it for myself, at least in like an art or music space. And one thing that kind of continuously came up for me is like music in particular, that's what I'm most involved in. So I'm sure that there is other ways in other art fields. But, you know, sharing equipment, sharing... um, Uh, ability so like if someone has the ability to record or the ability to help you with sound at a show because there's no actual sound guy like in those spaces I've experienced some of the most solidarity I've ever experienced because everyone is poor and everyone like wants to help each other out um so I think that like there are many many ways that this shows up and I was just when I was kind of reflecting about this and thinking about it in artistic ways, that stood out to me for sure.
1: Yeah, that—not necessarily that specifically, but just like the hyper local. I was thinking about a couple weeks ago. Um, a close friend of mine has been going through a breakup, and I invited that person over and another friend um, to have like just some some chill vibes. <laughs> And they referred to my apartment as a house of healing because I was just like, let me make you this like herbal tea that's like really calming for like nervous system. Let's like do all these things. Let's do this big tarot reading. And I like lit all these candles and pulled out all my crystals. Like I was just like, what do you need? Let me do everything. And yeah, they were like, this is like a house of healing. Like, I feel very healed. And then actually texted me yesterday being like, that was a huge turning point in my healing. And I'm like, that's, that's so good. So, nice. yes. um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it can be as local as mm-hmm. literally your apartment. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, and just like, yeah, doing all the things that you can to take care of a friend who's going through it. Absolutely. On a like somewhat larger scale, something I was thinking about is the gender studies class that I've been teaching. And um, it's interesting because kind of to what uh, both of you brought up with local spaces, when we've talked in class about um, various topics and like, where do you find space for these things? A lot of the students have shared that like, the space of class just like having the space to discuss these topics especially because we are at a jesuit school and a lot of them are from more like conservative jesuit backgrounds they're like just like being in this class and having these conversations has been like healing and like totally really impactful um which also makes me feel good brag but (laughs) it is amazing for them
2: (laughs) I also think that like that's that's not there's like you're providing a space for kind of like emotional processing for like coming to terms with like experience and it's that and it's also literally like political education too Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like you're doing a lot of different things in that space which is really cool absolutely
0: also final
2: point like yeah some subverting this university apparatus Mm -hmm. as well you know what i mean like being taking the resources that are given to you by this like fundamentally conservative institution and using them for like left political ends both in terms of like like you said like sort of emotional growth emotional processing emotional healing and like literally like political education which is really cool such a good point. At least
1: two of my students now listen to the pod. So if you're listening, hey. hello. <laughs> What's up? Um, but yeah, specifically, I wanted to bring up this book that we've been reading in the class called oppression and the body, which really relates to a lot of the things we're talking about. It's um, perhaps as it sounds, it's um, about how various forms of oppression have like somatic effects on the body. Um, think body keeps the score, but like, um, a much more intersectional and like feminist book. <laughs>
2: um,
1: Hot take: Body keeps the score is not a good book. It's actually really? written by the the author is notably a creep and
0: harassed the people working for him. Oh my god! Um, I didn't know that. And their, yeah. the mm-hmm. and their bodies are keeping the score.
1: And their bodies are keeping the score. Um, so this book has like similar themes of how bodies keep score about trauma, but is written by like each chapter is a different, um, like feminist theorist. Mm -hmm. And they talk a lot about mental health and like somatic therapy and stuff like that. And one thing that, that we were talking about specifically this past week, um, Cullen that you brought up is like survival as a form of resistance. Mm -hmm. When we live in a world that doesn't want us to, Mm -hmm. and like, especially for, like marginalized people. Yes, exactly. Which brings me to um this Audrey Lord quote that I wanted to share that I think speaks to that in like a very authentic way. So the quote is, "And when the sun rises we're afraid it might not remain. When the sun sets we're afraid it might not rise in the morning. When our stomachs are full we're afraid of indigestion. When our stomachs are empty we're afraid we may never eat again." When we're loved, we're afraid love will vanish. When we're alone, we're afraid love will never return. <clears throat> and when we <laughs> speak, <laughs> Laura is cracking up on me. Okay.
0: No, th- they can hear me because I... <laughs> my shit's on another. Oh, team. but
1: <laughs> got it. You'll yes. have
0: to listen back for the nice little cackle.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, sorry, I will continue. And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak remembering we were never meant to
2: survive. Oh, love that.
1: Yeah, I love this writing so much. And if anyone was wondering, I do have part of this quote, that like last part um, on an Audrey Lord poster that is hanging in my bathroom. So
0: that is Iconic. my daily motivation. Iconic. <laughs> Um, well, I thought we could kind of close out by talking about, like, what it is to be mentally coping with a hyper-capitalistic society, with climate catastrophe, with political oppression and violence. Like, how can creating soft space with one another combat the crisis of being an aware person in 2022?
2: Yeah, I feel like one of the really exciting things about, like, I'm a emotional softness is that it creates space for real solidarity which is obviously like the basement basement basis for any successful kind of like political movement whether that is like organizing your workplace or um you know creating um a like mutual aid group with your neighbors like whatever it is like it has to be based in solidarity and I think that like they're in like the kind of softness that we've been talking about, like that open space for solidarity to be created from like mutual listening, mutual understanding and mutual care. Um And like the important thing I think is that like we mobilize in ways that challenge power, like that we use that, that solidarity for an end, whether that is just like, creating friendships and relationships where we're able to recharge whether that's like you know building a union drive like I guess when we were talking about you know vulnerability I think that it can also be put out in ways that don't create power or build power but only like exhaust the people who are being vulnerable and like the What I thought of when I was thinking about this was like the Me Too mm. movement, which oh my God. Yes. encouraged people, like was based on people. And I'm talking about the like mainstream Me Too movement that was sort of co-opted, especially by white feminists, that literally encouraged people to talk about their traumatic experiences with violence, like saying literally Me Too without offering meaningful ways to direct that solidarity into action. So what you saw was a bunch of people being like, I was assaulted, I was assaulted, I was raped, I was harassed. And then like, let's cancel Louis C.K. But like, he's still touring. And what has happened to the people that he drove out of comedy? And the answer is like nothing. And so... Again, just in terms of like the ways that like liberalism and capitalism can kind of co-opt these movements, like the best case scenario for for capitalism is that we engage in vulnerability in ways that depletes us rather than rebuilding us. And so I think like that's something we always need to be conscious of, like as we're moving towards this softness, like is this a softness that is building radical community or is this a softness that is exhausting me and making me vulnerable in ways that are not productive
0: wow so such a good call (laughs) especially for anyone who goes too hard on the caretaking of others Mm -hmm. at myself (laughs) like there's a there's a way in which that becomes like self-harm almost you know yeah, absolutely. <sighs> but it yeah. obviously comes because our society is hell, and we're trying to do the best. But we're getting better at boundaries, so that we can do all the things.
1: <laughs> well, if you want non co optable <laughs> non-capital capitalism-proof content, you can come <laughs> on over to Patreon.com/slash Season of the bitch. and that's how you join our Discord that we talked about. I would mm-hmm. say that's a very radically soft place. It really is. Um, it really is. We just and... have a channel
0: that's for the good vibes. Like if you need good vibes mm, yeah. for anything going on in your life, we'll send them your way. Also, the, the
1: manifestation in there is like
0: uncanny. It's amazing. It's amazing. We
1: make the dreams come true. Not just us. Our our team of, of
0: supporters. Exactly. Yes. Our
1: familiars. <laughs> Yes, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at season of the B you can email us season of the Bee at gmail.com but know that that means you're emailing me and I'm very busy and <laughs> it might take a while to get a response, but that's okay with me if that's okay with you. Um- <laughs> And you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. You can now rate on Spotify. You can't review, but you can do like stars or whatever their system is. Mm. You can you can follow us on there. You can tell your friends to listen. Um you can buy our merch for people. Like holidays are coming up. Um Mm. Sagittarius's birthdays are coming up. So
2: true. (laughs) Most importantly.
1: Most importantly, uh, you can buy them our merch. And I think that's all the things you can do at the moment.
0: Yeah. And as uh, Zoe pointed out in our manifesto, uh, love you bye is also radical softness. Yes. Yes. Love, you. Love,
2: love you.
0: Bye. I love you bye. bye. Oh. Yeah.